Thank you for listening to the Conform to Christ podcast, where we seek to engage the mind, affect the heart, and call people to follow Christ. I'm Jay Jones. I'm here with George Mays for Text Driven Tuesday. How's it going, George? It's going well. Good stuff. You feeling feeling better? I I never felt very very poorly. People are probably wondering where we've been. Mm-hmm. We weren't here last week. We had a little COVID break. Yeah, for Giorgio. Yep. Finally got him. George, I thought you were immune. Holding out, man. Well, uh, you were the last holdout. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't want to make light of people who had it really badly. Yeah. But COVID was a little bit of a letdown. Didn't get you that bad? It did not. You got the weakened. Very, you got it, the weakened strain. I guess so, yeah. I held out long enough that I got the, yeah. got the weak one. All the all the rest of us folks, we weakened the virus out for okay, you. Okay, I appreciate that. Yeah, um, my wife got it worse than I did. Yeah. I mean, she couldn't get her fever to go away. It, it, it took several days. She had the body aches. Yeah, I just had. Goodness, we had a we had a free for all Friday after I had my symptoms. Uh-huh. If if she hadn't tested positive, I probably wouldn't have thought anything of it. Yeah, because I had I had a fever for. About a day. You probably had a small viral load because your beard stopped all of it. Yeah, it's all stuck in my beard. Or wash that thing out. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, it wasn't. Uh, it wasn't too bad, but uh, it got us. I mean, I can, I can still feel. I, I tired. Little, you'd little be tired for a while. Yeah. Yeah, you'd be tired for a while. That's how it. Ro- that's how it goes. Well, we weren't sorry we uh, didn't have anything last week, but. We do have so much material now. You can just go back and listen to old stuff you probably haven't listened to before. Go so, back and go back and listen to us before we even had video. Yeah, before we uh, we were probably boring back then too. <laughs> I bet we were, maybe, <laughs> maybe don't go back. <laughs> I don't know. We had some pretty good stuff. Yeah, if I'm rem- remembering correctly, <laughs> I don't think we were too comfortable yet with it with the format. Well, it's, well, we caught our. You know, it's it's um it's also different when you're when you're video recording versus just audio. Yeah, <laughs> I remember when we first started, we would have because it was just us. It was just you and me in a a little room that probably still had remnants of asbestos or something. <laughs> <laughs> and we would we had to stop and start the intro <laughs> four or five times, like every time. Yeah. You'd forget to press the button, or uh-huh. <laughs> something wouldn't be connected. Yeah, yeah, those were that was good times. <laughs> uh, we're all grown up now. <laughs> right. Got our own producer back there. Yep. He will never talk. I have a we have a microphone for him. He just won't talk into it. Yep. That's okay. We'll we'll get him to say something on one of these episodes. You gotta have like a um, you gotta have the microphone set up where he's where he doesn't really notice it. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> well, let's jump in here. Text Driven Tuesday. We are back in Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 4. If you got a Bible, grab a Bible, grab your phone, grab something. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 11 through 13, contains really probably one of the most famous passages in the Bible, most recognizable. It is, it's, yeah. It's pretty, pretty, pretty popular. We'll read this, and then we'll just jump in. So you've got, we're in the middle of the second warning passage in Hebrews. We've been there for we're, a little bit, right? We're really at the end of it. Yeah, this is the yeah, last this is, this section. Is, this, I mean, the the warning passages. There's, you know, there's discussion on where they begin and where they end. But yeah. I think that this is probably the 
the place where it ends. And um, then the, we're gonna- the the way in which I think these warning passages are are organized is there's the warning, and then in order not to cause despair, there's a passage that gives hope. Right. So I think at the end of every warning, there's there's some hope. So that's why there's one more sermon. So to there's come. one more, yeah. And that's uh-huh. about Christ as the high priest. Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay. Well, okay. Good. I kind of can see that like that breakdown. All right. So let's jump in here, and we'll have you read the passage first, okay. and then we'll get after it. Okay. Uh, chapter four, verses eleven through thirteen. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest, so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. All right. Thank you. Good stuff. All right. So you have two You have two main points in this passage. Mm. And I don't think I have the wording exactly, but we'll see what I got. I got the final exhortation mm-hmm. and the instrument of our judgment. Mm-hmm. Yep. Did I, I got it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. All right. You were paying attention. Or maybe the, we, the weapon of judgment. Or I saw in, you. I went, uh, I went back and forth. Weapon of judgment or instrument well, of judgment? Well, you know, I, I kind of used it interchangeably. I wasn't... I wasn't sold on either one of those, so yeah. uh, I just kind of interchanged them. But okay. you got it. Yeah, got I saw it. you. I uh, saw you getting up and having to walk around ah, back there. Uh, yeah. I, I saw saw a little something on <laughs> Facebook uh, yeah. yesterday afternoon. We had a jailbreak in yeah. the nursery. <laughs> Evangeline just appeared. Yeah, Bare, barefooted as usual. <laughs> <laughs> she gets it, comes in, climbs in the back pew. What are you doing in here? Mm-hmm. I look around. I don't. I don't see a helper. Yeah. <laughs> I walk out, look in the hall. There's nobody. She just. She broke out. Yeah. Ran for it. <laughs> so I took her back. Yeah. 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 I Crazy saw you. I saw now. you up. Up. Uh. <laughs> yeah. What's he doing? Yeah. You were in your sermon at least 15 minutes in. Maybe I don't know. Yeah. She made a run for it. All right. Yeah. That girl, man, she is. You got to keep an eye on her. <laughs> got to keep an eye on that one. As I tell people, that the depravity hit different with that one. Yeah. It and it did. I'm not joking. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We always joke around, you know, because we do our like our lineage, our DNA stuff, you know, and yeah. we have like I have Angie doesn't. Angie's more Germanic, but I have high percentage like Nordic. Mm-hmm. Denmark, like all that, uh, all that area where like the Vikings are from. Yeah, mine's like way high on that. And so I said she got all of that because sometimes she'll get mad and she'll, you know, she won't just like cry like a little kid when she gets frustrated. She'll go like this. (laughs) (laughs) She'll grit her teeth and shake. Yeah, and I'll say, "Hold up!" (laughs) And Drake always jokes around. He's like, "Dad, she's gonna punch a kid in the face at preschool. (laughs) It's gonna happen." We did not teach her this stuff, George. Yeah. This just this just how it came out. It's there. Well, when she sees you drinking out of the skulls of your your enemies, I mean some of it's going to rub off. <laughs> I guess I guess I guess so. I don't know. She's crazy, man. But she's also the sweetest kid we have. This is what's yeah. weird about it. She's like that, but she's by far the most affectionate kid. 
by far. It's not even close. Yeah. It's strange. Mm. She burns She burns hot mm. and cool. I, I don't know. She got both ends. Big, big emotions. Yeah, big emotions. So that's a lot like Phineas. Really? Phineas has big emotions on both both ends. Yep. Mm-hmm. It's it's fun to see how different all the kids are. Yeah, there's no one size fits all, right? Yeah, because all right. the kids have different personalities. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I ran out, but I was able to get that outline, all right, even though good. okay, I got it. So let's let's jump in. This is okay. the final exhortation mm-hmm. of this warning. Okay. Yep. The final exhortation is. Wh- let me grab my notes. Okay. <laughs> all right. Strive. So it's hopefully like, it's hopefully it's clear. Hopefully I think it's, it's clear I, right there in the text. I, think I, I just I think it is. It's, I just pulled that right out of the text. And it's strive. Yeah. There's. I mean. There's only one imperative um, in the in the text. I, I don't even remember if that's an imperative. I think it might be a. You mean you mean to look it up? No, it's all right. Let me do it now. I can't resist. Uh, all right, okay. uh, strive to enter his rest. Yeah. That's that's the final exhortation. Mm-hmm, right. So. Kind of this section, um, and this isn't complicated, right? This is what the beauty of this of the scriptures yeah. is. This is not complicated. It's very clear. It's the opposite of what did you call it? Was it like sleepwalking? Uh huh. Yeah. It's like the opposite of sleepwalking, right? Like this is something that takes intention, effort. Yeah. Um, you know, you read. Um, I think I got this from uh, John Owen's uh, "The Indwelling Sin in Believers." So he has he has kind of a trilogy on sin, mm. and um, this this is the the continued indwelling sin that Christians have to fight against. And I, I read this quote, and it's it's him, um, and it's expressing pity for professing Christians that think that they can just be lazy. Mm. Um, he says, we may well be well the woeful sloth and negligence that is in the most, even in professors. He means professors of Christianity. They live and walk as though they intended to go to heaven, hoodwinked and asleep, as though they had no enemy to deal with. Mm. And I think that we, I'm, I mean, if you've listened to Free For All long enough, you know that there's Christians that act this way. Mm-hmm. They act like... Um, we're friends with the world. We're we're just going to go hand in hand into eternity. And Owen, um, he goes to great lengths. I mean, if you've ever read John Owen, you know that you gotta <laughs> you gotta really put some effort into reading him. Um, but he he goes to great lengths to show that we have an enemy that lives within us. Mm. I mean, he he describes it in one place as a coal, like this burning coal that's in our in our chest that could easily break out into a fire and burn our house down. Um, he describes it in another place like a snake. You've got this venomous snake that's, that is in your house. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people just act like it's a pet instead of this mm-hmm. dangerous, this dangerous beast that could kill you. Mm-hmm. That's what sin is. And um, so we can't, we can't go through life. Um, I, I said yesterday in the, in the sermon, I said that you, you cannot, sleepwalk into God's rest. Mm. Um, you, you cannot simply um, think that everything's going to be peaceful and it's going to be uh, you know, a valley of roses and you're just going to uh, 
uh, gently walk into, you know, heavenly bliss. Mm-hmm. But that's the way that a lot of Christians act. That's that's the way a lot of Christians treat it. Um, but this passage, along with a whole host of, of passages in the New Testament, remind us that we have to strive. We have mm-hmm. to fight. We have to work. And um, that that idea, I think, can um, make some some people uncomfortable because we stress that we are saved by by grace alone, through faith alone, in the finished work of Christ alone. It's apart from works. And then when we get to passages like this where we're told we have to strive to enter into God's rest, there's there's kind of this um, this tension uh-huh. that we feel. And so we have to we have to um, we have to remember that um, we are basing everything upon the scripture alone, and we have to keep everything in balance. Right. And the scriptures have this. I mean, the, you yeah. have to you have to live with this tension, right? The the author of Hebrews is not here arguing for works based salvation, or that would negate <clears throat> so much of what he's already said in the the first two so, chapters of the of the book. So yeah, so this is instead of like you know we kind of can have a tendency. You and I will kind of go back through and walk everybody through the sermon. So I'm going to try to not do that today. What I want to throw at you today is some personal application of this that I, that I think people can take, scenarios they may even run into, that we've run into. People might would say, like you're getting ready to hit, because you are you probably are asking questions in your mind, What people you know what people are going to ask, does this negate or some doubt teach the opposite of salvation by faith alone, mm-hmm. right? You, you address that. So let's deal with that. Yeah. Does this somehow undermine salvation by faith alone, in Christ alone, and... What about running into this idea, which is common today? Um, it just depends on where you are, how how common it will be. I think it's very common here that um, if you teach anything like this, you're undermining the gospel. Um, you're teaching lordship salvation, which mm. again, there's nothing wrong with teaching lordship yeah. salvation. <laughs> like that's we hold to that. <clears throat> <clears throat> but that's what they would say. They would be, I don't know what you call the other side, anti-lordship salvation? Um, I think they call it free grace. Okay. I think that's that's what it's what it's called. That's a strange name for it, because I would say we're preachers of free grace. Well, right? there's um, uh, there's a third way. I, I haven't I haven't delved really deeply into the the debate. Like uh-huh. this is a debate that goes back what two decades? Oh yeah, yeah, long, maybe longer <laughs> between John MacArthur, John MacArthur and the DTS professors. Uh huh. Yeah. Um, between free grace, I, I think that's what they call it, free grace. And lordship salvation. Apparently, there's a, a third a third way, uh, which uh, Michael Horton holds to, okay. which is he calls it the reformed, the reformed position. Mm-hmm. So I'm not sure how that differs. Um, it may be what what I hold to, right. <laughs> without without knowing, you know, all the technical side of it, um, because the Bible does have both sides. Mm-hmm. It has both sides. Um, it is salvation is by grace alone. And that's you, you can't get any clearer than that. It it is apart from works. So that's that's Paul's that's Paul's whole message is that we're we don't do anything to earn this grace. Yeah, so you don't turn away sinners and say, "Hey, look, you need to reform yourself." Right. Reform yourself, come back to church. Mm-hmm. Get rid of all your sins, then we'll talk about becoming a Christian. Right. That's not that's not what's done. No, it's, that's it's, that's um, not that's not biblical 
Uh, yeah, that and, would be anti-gospel and, in our yeah, view. Yeah, and I think you see, I think you see that that grace, that lavish grace, in the warning passage, mm-hmm. because he he says today, if you hear his voice, mm-hmm. um, don't harden your hearts. Come to Christ. Mm-hmm. Um, e- even today, there is the the um, the open invitation for anybody to come and mm-hmm. take take part in God's rest. Yeah. That's not something that you're earning. You're you're not earning God's rest, right? Um, but you do have to enter into God's rest, and right. I don't think those two things are opposed to each other, or else the writer of Hebrews is contradicting himself. Right. And I don't think there's anything contradictory between what the author of Hebrews is saying and what Paul says. I think, and I think what one way this can get mix, mixed up, mess, messed up, is that forgetting that he's writing to people he is assuming are believers already, right? Right, so yeah, he's, he's, ri- he's writing to those who have made a profession of faith. They are in the church. Yeah, they are calling themselves Christians, um, right. and so they would be already professing faith in Christ. Um, they would be. I think that makes all the difference. Trusting in in God's grace to yeah. save them through Christ and His cross. Mm-hmm. Um, he, he that that's where a lot of people get hung up on these warning passages because he is talking to Christians. Um, we'll see this in in chapter six with the third warning passage. People say, "Man, it, it sounds like you can lose your salvation because it sounds like he's talking to Christians." Right. And then people try to dance around that. I think he is. He's talking to Christians. Uh, but again, the point of the warning passage it's, is this is God's grace to keep you from falling away. It's God's means to keep them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the there has got to be effort. There's got to be striving. There's got to be. Um, in the the main illustration you used, because that the is the one that the writer of Hebrews uses, is the people of Israel, mm-hmm. right? To go right. into the land, they weren't just going to waltz in there. And, and were, I, th- I think that helps. I think that helps us to um, to kind of grasp what's going on between mm-hmm. between grace and your striving, because God has already brought Israel out of slavery. We we're they're already on the other side of the Exodus, right? And that was not something that they did, right? They didn't um, do anything. Uh, yeah, they didn't defeat uh, repeat, Pharaoh. repeatedly they're told to stand back and watch God, right? Because God is going to do this. God is going to pour out the plagues on Pharaoh. God is going to rescue you. He's going to bring you out by His strong right hand. They come to the you know the Red Sea, and and God is the one who parts the Red Sea so that they can pass, and he's the one that brings the water back over Egypt and destroys their armies. It's, I mean, if, if that's not grace alone, I, I don't know, <laughs> I don't know how to mm-hmm. how to define grace alone. I mean, that's God saving them by his own power. Mm-hmm. Um, but they still have to go to the promised land. Like, he's not, he's not picking them up and carrying them and depositing them uh-huh. in the land of Canaan, they still have to walk and they still have to go in. Mm-hmm. And even though he's bringing them in and he's going to go before them and he's going to give them victory over the the Canaanites, they still have to pick up their swords and kill them. Mm-hmm. Right? God does. They're not just going to walk in and, um, you know, it's a ghost town. Mm-hmm. There's, there's, <laughs> there's Canaanites living there. That's, that's the whole reason why the, the uh, the ten spies say we can't go in is because they know we have to fight them. Uh, but Joshua and Caleb, they're still trusting. They they still have faith in God that uh, God has has promised this and God is going to be true to His word. So let us go in. 
Um, so you you see that that it's not they're not opposed to each other. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, you see this very clearly in in Philippians chapter two, um, where Paul says, "Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling." Mm-hmm. That's that takes effort, right? Yeah, like work. <laughs> Work out your salvation. But then he goes on and says, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Yeah. So it goes together. There's, there's, um, it's, it is, um, what, so what does this passage have to say then? I think, um, to make it clear for like where, where we live, contextualize where we live, uh, contextualize. You like that word? Yeah. Bring it up back up on Friday. Yeah. <laughs> We live in right. Southwest Oklahoma. Uh-huh. There are churches everywhere. Baptist churches everywhere. Everybody got saved at Falls Creek around here. <laughs> All right. Um, but many people, even if they go to church, they would live like the world lives. Mm-hmm. So right. what does a passage like this have to say to that person? So I think that if you're in Southwest Oklahoma, even if you're not, you probably, if you if you've been in um, a church setting for a long, you're going to know what we're talking about here. People who um, have made a profession of faith, they have you know walked an aisle or um, said a prayer or gotten baptized, joined the church, and then they disappear. If if you've been in the if you've been in the youth group culture, you know what this is. Like you see people that they go to youth camp. And they have this big experience, and they might be crying, and it looks like, oh, they're they're Christian now. So you grew up in that culture. Oh yeah. How many people from your youth group are still actively walking as a Christian? Oh right goodness. Um, three. How big was your youth group? Counting, counting, counting me. I guess four. Um, I mean, it wasn't a mega church by any any stretch, mm-hmm. but probably talking ten percent of my youth group All right. that I know of. I mean, I didn't keep track of everybody, but maybe ten percent are still like actively in the church. Mm. Um, but even among some of my closer friends in the youth group, that like we did Bible studies and went to prayer meeting, and like we were kind of the leaders of the youth group. Um, it's, it's not... Not very many? Not very many. Uh-uh. Yeah. No. I think I think my wife has experienced something similar to that. Yeah. I didn't grow up in that youth mm-hmm. culture, so... Yeah. It's... I mean, it. it is... Um, I mean, it becomes this <clears throat> kind of trope <laughs> because... It's it just holds true, right? I, I mean, wherever you are, you got youth group, and you go to summer camp, and you have this big, you know, quote unquote conversion experience. You come back and you last a week, two weeks, and then that person that had this, you know, big, big experience, and they gave a testimony in front of the church and got baptized, and everyone's excited. They're they're gone, like they just disappear. Maybe they're sporadic, but they're not. Like what happened? Mm-hmm. Well, they didn't. They didn't strive. <laughs> they didn't work out their salvation with fear and trembling. They trusted in a decision. They they trusted in a moment, in an experience, 
and then they didn't um they didn't put any effort mm. into uh persevering right they um you know it's it's we've talked about it I, here before the 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 once saved always saved like this this eternal security that is true um once someone has been saved they never lose their salvation um but this idea that it's once saved always saved and you can live however you want and you don't even have to go to church and you know, parents are trusting in that decision that their child made when he was 10. Um, right. But he, he shows no evidence of any desire for spiritual things. He, he never darkens the door of the church. Um, he lives like the world. But they go back and they say, well, you know, he said that prayer when he was 10. And I'm pretty sure he meant it, you know, back then. Um, that's, that's not biblical Christianity at all. It's almost like uh, the... Uh with the the Jews trusting in their bloodline, in my view, I almost see it kind of like that. Mm-hmm. Obviously, not a perfect correlation, but you know that's what they would say to Jesus. We have Abraham as our father, right? And he says, "Oh no, you, you, that ain't your father, <laughs> right?" Yeah, and I, I think you see the same argument in Romans chapter two, where where Paul is saying, "You who are are Jews and are boasting in the law, do you keep the law?" Yeah, that's right. Um, and he says, a, a, "A true Jew is not one who's been circumcised outwardly, but one who's been circumcised inwardly." Uh huh. And um, I think that there's a lot of people in evangelical churches, especially those who have grown up in this youth group culture, that they're they're Christians outwardly, but they're not one, they're not Christians inwardly. Yeah, the experience, the experience, or that moment, or that time where the pastor told them, "Now you prayed this prayer, never doubt it again." Yeah. That's that's like an outward circumcision. It's. Um, it doesn't it's, necessarily mean it is. Uh, been... It's it's Roman Catholicism that's been snuck into yeah. the the Protestant Church, right? Yeah. The the pastor stands at the front and absolves you. You said a prayer. Um, it may not be a Hail Mary or an Our Father. So it's, it's uh you know it's a sinner's prayer. But if you said it and if you meant it, then I absolve you of all your sins. You're a Christian. All don't, right. Don't ever doubt it. If you ever if you ever doubt it, come back to this time and this place. So let's say that's you, like maybe this person is listening, person that's like this, or more than likely, if they're listening, I mean, they probably, that's probably not them, right? But they probably have friends that are like that, and they obviously need to hopefully actually become saved, become a Christian. Right. Uh, how do you begin to talk to someone like that? Because that can be an awkward conversation. You don't want to become off as like super judgmental person, but you actually care about them. Um, and you want that, like, so they're professing to be a Christian, right? But everything they do in their life denies that they actually are a Christian. Maybe mm-hmm. it's from their sexual ethics to, uh, to their character, to how they're living. Um, how do you then say, because you care about them, say, listen, you're professing to be a Christian, so, and I care about you, so I want to talk to you about this. But also, there's the part of them hurting, I think, the cause of Christ by them identifying as being a Christian publicly, mm-hmm. right? Because there's maybe like, maybe you have a third friend who who has no, hasn't know anything about Christianity at all, mm-hmm. and yeah. he's like, uh, you know, uh, Bob over here. Yeah, why do I need to become a Christian? When he says he's, he's a Christian too, yeah. and uh, then there's you. You're just kind of weird. Uh-huh. 
Like, why can't I be like Bob? Like, you're judgmental, and here's this guy over yeah. here, and he's not. So, the, so, so, how do you, how do you begin to, to talk to that person? I'm, yeah. That's what I'm. Well, I, I, you know, <clears throat> if if our uh, our highest priority is I don't want to make things weird, mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't want to make things awkward. You're not going to be able to have a conversation like this, right? Because at some point, it's going to get awkward. <clears throat> like you profess faith in Christ, but I don't think you're really a Christian, right? Um, I, you know. I think that a good place to start is just by defining our terms. Uh-huh. Um, like you, you call yourself a Christian. Um, what what does that mean? Like, what does that mean? Yeah, that you're a Christian. Like, is there something that's that's foundational to that? Like, like definitional. What do you think a Christian is? And you know, the who knows what? I mean, depending right. on the person, they'll probably give all kinds of all kinds of answers. They may even give something that. Is you know well I, you know I said a prayer and asked Jesus into my heart right. Um, then you can kind of probe a little bit you know deeper. Yeah, you know, what does that mean? You invited Jesus into your heart. Like get get down to like like definitional. What mm-hmm. does it mean to be a Christian? And at some point you you can say, well, don't you think that at the very the very least you should do christian things <laughs> like you should do things that you see christians in the in the bible doing uh-huh um why don't you do those things yeah yeah right that's right yeah that's good um and and you 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 don't want to what we're what we're gonna tend to do is we're gonna be emotional and we're gonna let our emotions guide us but i really meant it when i you know when i said that prayer i really meant it mm-hmm. that's i mean we'll get to that Right in, in verses twelve and thirteen, like I think that's why he includes this. Like it's not, it's not just look into your heart and see if you really meant it. Yeah, um, we we're we're going to tend to be emotional because you don't want it to get awkward. You don't want to hurt your friend's feelings. You don't want to you don't want to damage that friendship, that relationship. Right. Um, we're going to tend to um, uh, compare with other people or with other standards. And what we have to do is we got to keep going back to the Bible. Mm-hmm. We got to go back to the Bible and say, you know, if someone gives a definition of a Christian, you have to go back to the Bible. You have to say, well, I, I think that the Christian text is going to be the standard for defining what a Christian is. Right. And your definition doesn't quite match up with what the text says. Mm-hmm. And if they if they reject the text, you can say, why why would you even call yourself a Christian if you if you reject the book right like like are you are you expecting a, a you know muslim to say i'm a muslim but i i don't do what the quran <laughs> the right. quran says yeah right like you, like what's the whole point of being a christian if you're going to reject the book mm-hmm. so you just keep going back i think um and you can do this in a, a kind way you don't have to yeah yeah like you don't pick up the book and yeah and hit them over the head with it Kind of, uh, so Brooke ran into this scenario, and I thought I think she handled it pretty well, you know, especially since she's she's young. She's not even been a Christian that long, really. I mean, I mean, she has been compared to some people because she was a, became a Christian early. But um, this was so the scenario is one of her good friends, a guy friend, and then the third party is. A uh, a girl who was like a lesbian. So this and this this kind of happened in in class. And I think the teacher let it go on because I suspect the teacher might have been a real Christian, 
and probably knows that Brooke's okay, like taking pressure. So Brooke, I don't know. I think maybe the on the front end, it, she could have done it more, like been nicer about it. But she told one girl, uh, "No, I don't. Why? Why do you say you're a Christian? You're not a Christian." <laughs> and the girl's like, "No, I am." And then so kind of what she yeah. figured out was though what made her mad. And th- this one boy started yelling at her. And he he called her to apologize though because I think he was afraid that her brother would find out. Um, <laughs> but. She figured out that they got so mad because, which it's interesting to get mad, I guess, about, but they thought she was saying they didn't believe in God, mm. right? That, and that, doesn't that just tell you how much the culture is Christi- Christian-y right. around here? Uh-huh. And uh, so yeah. I, the kind of the place that she went, she's able to have a conversation was, you know, tell me the gospel. Can you right. tell me the gospel? And... If there's no clue, like if you don't have a single clue what it yeah, is, right. so that's where she started. She, well, if if you don't know what the gospel is, how could you have become a Christian? Mm-hmm. The, you know, this is the gospel. So, so it actually turned out to a place where she was able to really clearly articulate uh, what it what the gospel is, mm-hmm. which was good. So she was kind of glad that she had a day period or so where things were pretty tense. But and not, so not only with the, with her, but with that boy. But then the one girl. This was what was interesting. She was like, uh, Brooke, why do you get to decide what a Christian is? She's like, <laughs> right, this yeah. the, this like lesbian girl. <clears throat> so she's like, I, I don't. Right. She's like, uh, but what would you think if uh, if somebody come up in here and and told you uh, I'm a Muslim or you know and uh, and just redefined what Islam is? Right. And of course, because she's liberal, the girl's like, that would be inappropriate. <laughs> right. And Brooke's like, okay, <laughs> yeah. well, how about we don't let everyone around here define what being a Christian is then? Yeah. Let's let let's let Jesus define what that is. Right. And the girl's like, that makes total sense. But we don't want to go that way with Christians, right? Uh-huh. It, it only goes the other way. Right. So Jesus gets to define what a Christian is. We don't. Yeah. If you disagree with him, maybe you're not one. Yeah. You know, if you don't and this is the text, right? Yeah. Like this is this is the book for Christians. If you don't yeah. like the book, fine but you don't you don't get to say well i don't like the book so i'm going to define what a christian is right that, i'm going to i'm going to tell not, you right that's not how this works after 2000 years i actually figured out what a christian is right all of you guys have been wrong the whole time yeah <laughs> yeah here's some people who claim to be eyewitnesses to right. these events you can you can say i don't believe them right but that that doesn't mean that you get to define what a Christian is. You don't. That doesn't mean that you all of a sudden get to um, get rid of the book and put your own opinions in. Like, why do we care about your opinions? Yeah. Uh, maybe maybe you don't think that this was written by the people that that they say it's written. But even if you're a liberal scholar, um, you have to say that these these texts are almost two thousand years old. Mm-hmm. Like even the even the most liberal will push the latest to like 200. Mm-hmm. Um, you still have to say they're a lot closer to the events than I am. So you don't, you maybe don't get to define what Christianity is over 2,000 years. But you can do this in a way. I, I cannot remember the name of the book, um, but uh, it's an apologetic book, and he uses a method that he calls the Columbo is method. the Socratic method where you ask questions? It's asking questions. Yeah. Yeah. He calls it the Columbo method. Yeah. Um, 
It, it's it's just asking questions. No one on here knows what Colombo is. Really. I know. I know. <laughs> I know who he is. You know who he is? <laughs> oh yeah. He yeah. is the freshest old detective. He is. <laughs> He's got his own style. <laughs> yeah. They need to bring Colombo back. You think so? I'd watch that. They'd run it. <laughs> They'd just run it. <laughs> but it's just it's asking questions. Mm-hmm. Um, which comes off as not as confrontational. Yeah, that's good. So you ask questions like, "What? What do you? How do you define a Christian? Can you tell me the gospel? Can you tell me the gospel? Why do why, you believe? Why that? do you? Why? Why is that your definition of a Christian? What does the Bible say? Why? Why is your definition different from yes. what we see in the Bible? Things like that. It is good. Yeah. yeah. What ends up happening though is like you'll you, someone will eventually figure out like you've been laying chess pieces. Yeah, you're. I mean, these are leading <laughs> questions, right? You're trying to get. You already know yeah, the answers. You know where it's going. But you're you're using questions to lead them to this place. Yeah. Right. They're laying their own trap. Right. <laughs> eventually, right. they figure it out too, and they're like, "Oh, right." But, but that's what you, but then that, it's not as weird. But that's what you want them to do, right? Yeah. You want the light bulb to go on and they're like, oh, well, it, then maybe, it's not, my, maybe my definition is different. Why is that? Yeah, and Why it's, is my it is good because you haven't actually said anything. Mm-hmm. Like, you believe this, you believe that, you believe that. They've said it, right? and they've now seen that they've trapped themselves in a big right. contradiction trap. Yeah. Now, this requires that you be a good listener because yeah. you're listening to their answers. You're not just waiting for them to stop talking so you can ask another question. Like you're, mm-hmm. you've got to, you got to really, you got to really be intentional about this. But I think that that's that's a good way for you to conf- to confront a person with their contradictory lifestyle. You claim to be a Christian. This is what a Christian looks like according to the book. You're not living that way. Why is that? Mm-hmm. And can you can you say? that there's some kind of synthesis here between the way that you're living that's contradictory to the book. Mm-hmm. Can you still say, yeah, this is, this is a, I, I'm living like a Christian. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Good. I like that. Maybe we'll have a, uh, we'll do a Columbo on free for all Friday hmm. over the Colbert thing. Oh yeah. That may be a fun exercise. All right, so the word, you kept bringing it back to the word, which is good, and that kind of leads us into the second point that you had from the text, which is the instrument of judgment. Mm-hmm. Now, that might come as to someone to someone as like, I've never really saw it this way before because a lot of times people interact with the text. Maybe it's <clears throat> not taken within this context of this yeah. uh, warning passage and... and the background of Israel in mind. So the famous passage, George read it before, is for the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul, spirit, of joints, and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. All right, so this is about the word. The Word of God, and in particular, you think it's referencing a particular part of the Word of God, but also in yeah. general, uh-huh. but more specifically what? Right. So there, there is, um, I mean, you can apply this in a general sense, and I think that's how people usually take it. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, when you get to verse 12, that word for, it connects it to what's come before. Um, so this 
he's not just making a general statement about the Word of God. He's still tying it back to Psalm 95. That's what this whole warning passage has been. It's been, I guess we could we could call it an exegesis of Psalm 95. Um, he's using Psalm 95 as, here's an example from Old Testament Israel of um, God has delivered them out of slavery. Moses has led them to the very border of the promised land. They have heard God's promises, and when they're confronted with actually going into God's rest, they don't believe him, mm-hmm. and so they rebel. Um, he's drawing this connection, and he's saying, you have experienced the same thing. Mm-hmm. You've experienced a, a better exodus. Um, you've been brought out of something greater than slavery in Egypt. Um, you're, you're professing faith in Christ. You're professing that God has forgiven you of your sins. Um, now you are confronted with hardships and persecution and suffering. What are you going to do? Mm-hmm. Are you going to be like Israel? Are you going to follow their example? Or are you going to believe God's word? And here's Psalm 95 as um, this judgment text on you. You're, you're either going to believe God's word mm-hmm. and not harden your hearts like Israel did in the wilderness, or you are going to, um, you're, you're not going to believe God's word. You're going to harden your hearts and you're going to fall away just like, mm. just like the, the wilderness generation did. Okay. So Psalm 95 is standing as this prime example of this is what is, is at stake. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so again, this is not this is not just a general description of God's word, though it 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 is. Like we see that this can this can be expanded. It can be used to define um, other texts, but it's being used particularly in this passage as kind of the pinnacle of the warning. Mm-hmm. Like this is the standard. The standard is God's word. And here's Psalm 95 as this kind of prime text. Okay. Um, There's three descriptions given, living, active, and all exposing. Mm -hmm. Uh, So let's briefly talk about that. So it's living. Mm -hmm. Um, It's living because God is living. So um, the the author's um, description of God in like four places in the book is that he's the living God. Mm-hmm. Um, so obviously the living God, when he speaks, he speaks a living word. Um, but this is drawing out the fact that Psalm 95, it's not just this ancient text that has nothing to do with us. Um, what he's doing is he's saying that Psalm 95, though written you know, a thousand years before by David, is still living today. Mm-hmm. It still has um, relevance for you today. Mm-hmm. Um, the example of Israel in the wilderness, it's not this, it's not this dead, dry, like just a historical event that it's to fill your head with knowledge. It actually is spoken by the living God and it's living today. It's mm-hmm. it's living and breathing for you today. So when you read when you read the Old Testament, again, you can expand this to all of God's word, right? When you read um, the text from the Old Testament, um, you need to say, this is spoken by the living God, and it's living today. It's it's for me. Mm. 
Like it has relevance for me. Mm-hmm. Um, this is why Paul can say in, in 1 Corinthians 10 and Romans 15 that the things that happened, the things that were written, they were written for our instruction. So it's not, it's not as if you read the account of Israel in the wilderness and say, well, that, that, that just happened. Like it's, it's just right, like reading a history book. People read a history book. Maybe <laughs> nowadays, um, you read a history book and you don't draw you don't draw the connection and say why does this matter to me? Right. Well, the author of Hebrews is saying it's because it's living. Mm-hmm. Um, it's active. Um, this is the, I mean, you just transliterate the Greek word and it's energy. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's living. It's energetic. Um, it's translated in Philemon chapter uh, verse six as effective. Um, I think that's kind of the idea that's that's going on here is that um, it's it's living and it's effective. So the things that God has said will happen will actually happen. Um, that was the case for Israel when they rebelled and didn't go into the promised land. The next day they had a change of heart. They said, oh, we've sinned. We will go in. Moses says, it's too late. <laughs> Don't go because God's not going with you. Um He's, he's sworn in his wrath, you will not enter. Uh, they try to go in anyway, and uh, they are soundly defeated. They're mm. chased off by the Canaanites. Um, they can try. They can amass all their strength. They will not enter into the promised land because God has said, you will not enter. Mm-hmm. So God's word is effective. Okay, And it's the same for us. Mm-hmm. You read Psalm 95, verse 11. Um, As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. That applies to us. If if you fail to obey, if you fail to listen um, and believe, God's word is just as effective today as it was for them. <clears throat> yeah. Um, if you if you refuse, if you do not strive to enter that rest um, through faith in Christ, uh, you won't enter His rest either. Yeah, this has uh, some implications for those that would be Christian universalists. I think mm-hmm. it's a big problem, mm-hmm. especially considering what Jesus says about himself. And, yeah. and Jesus has a little, <clears throat> I don't know if it's an act, it's technically an allegory, where he's speaking about himself as a door of the sheep. Mm-hmm. Um, you go in and out through yeah. him and find pasture. Right. And he's kind of referencing, I think, playing on Psalm 23 mm-hmm. and... That he is the people's rest, right. but you go through Christ. Right, he's the door of the sheep. You find rest yeah. for your souls. This has some implications for that. I don't. I don't understand how people can arrive at that uh, at this Christian universalist place, <laughs> right? Um, where everyone just gets in. Whether well, they... it's because they're redefining the book. Yeah, right. I mean, it's very clear. Jesus says, "No one comes to the Father except by me." Mm-hmm. It, couldn't be any any clearer, right? Couldn't be any narrower. Really than that. Yeah. Um, there, I mean, there's no, <laughs> there's no other way to interpret that than the only way that you get to God is through Jesus. Right. It's not through your. It's not through you know your your religious sincerity. Sincerity. And your it's other not religions. through your practices. It's through Jesus alone. Right. That's it. Um, but they they don't listen to the book. Right. Um, because they're just like. They're just like Israel, right? Yeah, they're not. Like yeah, they. But the word of God is effective. Mm-hmm. He said it. That's going to be the case. It's it's going to be it's going to prove to be true. Mm-hmm. Um, if you don't enter through Jesus, you don't enter at all. Mm-hmm. Um, it, you can't wiggle around it because the word of God is living and it's active. It's effective. 
Yeah. Right. Uh, but then it's all exposing. Um, and that that's kind of taking the rest of that verse altogether. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. Uh, it pierces to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, discerns the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Um, so it 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 just lays this open. Mm-hmm. Um, you got to be really careful with this verse. Some people like to take it, and they're they're trying to um, create a theology of man right. from this verse that's not actually about man. It's about God's word. Yeah, right. So they'll say, well, man consists of body, soul, and spirit. They have this, it's called tripartite right. division of, of humanity. But then you got to throw in heart. So you got four parts. Yeah. Now, um, it, but that's not the, that's not the point. The, uh-huh. the point of this verse is not, this is what man consists of. Um, I, I, I almost went into this, but I was like, man, this is just a rabbit trail. Yeah. Um, mankind consists of physical and spiritual, right? Body and soul. Mm-hmm. Um, Paul, talks about the inner man and the outer man uh-huh. like that's what we consist of uh but the inner man is often they use different words to get kind of at different angles of it um and i think that's what's going on here like the point is these are things that can't be separated uh-huh. like the joint the joint and the marrow like it like without getting into like phys- like physical medical detail like that's it kind of goes together <laughs> you can't you can't separate these things um but that's the point the word of god is so sharp it's so precise and so accurate that it can cut through things that can't be cut any other way mm-hmm. like you can't cut the the soul and the spirit like it's because it's the same thing mm-hmm. and it's so it's it's diving into the very deepest recesses of the human um, and that's that's what the interpretation is at the end of the verse that it discerns or it judges the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Mm-hmm. So it gets at it, it it gets behind all of the good intentions, all the motives, um, even the ways that we can um, kind of justify ourselves and we kind of soothe a guilty conscience. Yeah. It gets behind all of that, uh-huh. and it exposes what's really going on. Right. Right. Um, so, for instance, Israel, they're standing at the border of the promised land. They see giants. Their excuse is, we're not going to go in because there's, there's giants. giants. There, yeah. But what the Word of God does is that it it pierces through that that curtain, right? Um, we, we've, you know, we're kind of like the Wizard of Oz. We've got that curtain around us. Mm-hmm. Pay no attention to, uh, you know, the man behind the, the curtain. Mm-hmm. Um, the word of God pierces through that curtain and it says, it's not really giants that's the problem. The problem is you don't believe God. Mm-hmm. The problem is you love sin so much that you're not going to go in. Mm-hmm. You're, you're not going to, um, you're so in love with this world. You're so in love with um, your comfort that you you see the hardship that's ahead of you through war and you say, nah, we're not going to do it. Mm-hmm. That's what the word of God does. So pick a sin <laughs> and, you know, listen to the ways that people make excuses. We, we make excuses for our sin. Um, we, we try to downplay it. It's not that big a deal. Um, you know, it's just a, a little white lie. Right. If you really want to really try to soothe your conscience, you'll, you know, just telling a story. Right. Right. 
embellishing or you know making it interesting. What well, I mean, whatever. Um, the word of God pierces through that and says, "This is what's really going on." Yeah, yeah, right. That's right. And it's a it's a sword, so it's yeah. it's not you know it's not gentle, which is maybe why like it's people sharp. Avoid reading it because mm-hmm. it starts messing with you, right? <laughs> like we we like to say that we're the judge. Uh, um, we that's what we think. Mm-hmm. Like we come to the text. There's difficulties, and so all of a sudden we're the judge. We're we're trying to um, figure out. We're we're demanding that the Bible answer all of our questions. Right. So we're we're you know we're talking about this tension between salvation by grace alone, but you also have to work to enter into God's rest, and we want it to just be laid out really clearly, and and we want all of our questions to be answered. We don't want those tensions, and we've talked about. Um, you know, God's sovereign, sovereign will and, and, you know, man's freedom. And, and we want it to just, we, we want the book to just lay, lay bare and answer all of our questions and get rid of all of our difficulties because we really think that we're the judge over the book. Mm. Um, but what this passage tells us is that the book is actually judging us. Mm. Like we're, we're, we're on the, we're on the witness stand, mm-hmm. right? It's questioning us. It's asking questions of us. And uh, we're so often like the woman at the well that Jesus meets, and he starts piercing through <laughs> things that are going on in her heart. And what does she do? Uh, where are we supposed to worship God? <laughs> mm-hmm. Our religious leaders say on this mountain, and the Jews say on that mountain. Like she wants to get, yeah, she wants, she wants a theological discussion. She wants like this technical doctrinal discussion that has nothing to do with the fact that she's an adulteress. Right. Um, but Jesus is wielding the word and it's piercing through all of those things and exposing what's actually going on in her heart. And that's mm-hmm. what happens. Right. Good. Good it, it happens because of who God is. Right. So verses 12 and 13, it, it makes this interesting shift. Like the word of God is living and active and it pierces and then verse 13 says, and no creature is hidden from his sight. His sight. Yeah. So there's, there's this relationship that, that yeah. the author just seamlessly transitions into. I mean, there's people that like to, to make that division, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I believe in God, but I got some problems with the book. Right. But what this verse tells us is that there's, there's not a division. Mm-hmm. Like, the word of God and God himself they have the same like attributes, mm-hmm. I guess. Um, so when God God's word speaks, it's God speaking. Mm-hmm. So the word of God is it's exposing us because nothing is hidden from God, right? Um, and so you you can't make that you can't make that separation between who God is and what God's word does because um, he he he's all all seeing, all knowing. And uh, everything is naked and exposed to his eye. And uh, that word, that, that word translated exposed, such an interesting word when I was, I was researching it because there's, there's just kind of like this host of different interpretations that are used for this word. Because mm-hmm. it literally means to bend the neck back. Mm-hmm. And it's used in different scenarios. So right. it's used of um, like a wrestler, grabbing someone's neck and like uh, body slamming them 
Um, it's used of uh, a prisoner having his, his head jerked back so that his neck is exposed to someone cutting it. Um, it's been suggested that it's even used in kind of a sacrificial um, context where the priest cuts the throat of the animal, then he flays it open. Um, I mean, these are really visceral imagery, mm -hmm. right, <laughs> of what the Word of God does to us, um, what we are in the sight of God, and we try to hide. Um, that That's a character trait that we picked up from Adam and Eve when they, they tried to hide their sin. That's what we all do. Mm -hmm. We all try to cover ourselves. Um, Isaiah, I can't remember what chapter it is, says that a man, a man will not hide himself um, with the things that he has made, or he won't clothe himself with the things that he's made. Um, but that's what we try to do. Mm -hmm. We try to, we sin, and then rather than confessing, um, we, we hide and we make excuses. And what this text tells us is that you can't do that. Mm -hmm. There's no way that you can hide yourself. You're, we are all naked and exposed. Our, our necks have been you know, stretched back so that the word of God can cut us to pieces. Um, he can just lay us open and uh, get at the very heart of what's going on. Mm -hmm. And so, we, this, I mean, this is our warning, right? Yeah. Like you're not you're not going to escape, right? Um, you you profess to be a Christian, but you um, abandon abandon the faith, and you go and you live like the world, or you you try to just be a you know you try to be a good person, you just try to uh, be religious in however way you want. A lot of people say they're not religious; they're spiritual. Like all these excuses, and what this passage tells us is that the standard is God's word, mm -hmm. and God's word is going to expose all of those thoughts, all of those intentions, all of those motives, um, all that, you know, mm -hmm. the mask that we wear, the veneer that we put over our, our lives. Um, it's, it's going to expose us for who we are. Mm -hmm. So the question is, what are you going to do with God's word? Yeah. Are you going to listen? Or are you going to ignore this passage? Like the word is talking about itself. Mm-hmm. Um, are you going to ignore it and you're, you're just going to, to live your life however you want in, uh, in unbelief and rebellion? I love how you get to the book of Revelation and, and three times Jesus is described as the one who has the sharp two-edged sword that comes out of his mouth. Mm -hmm. So you've got the word who is wielding the word and um, you see kind of the culmination of this passage in Revelation 19 where he comes, he comes and he kills everybody with the sword that's coming out of his mouth. Mm -hmm. Like you're either going to let the word of God expose you now and you're going to repent um, and um, trust in Christ and follow him or you're going to experience the sword mm -hmm. um, in a, a final way in Revelation. Yeah. I can't think of the exact passage in John, but Jesus says something. That after already saying that, He's been, it's been given to him to judge. Mm -hmm. He'll later say, not that I judge, it's the word that I have spoken. Mm. Um, yeah. So it's all, it's everywhere. Right. Yeah. 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 So we've, we've got, um, it was really quiet yesterday. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you noticed that. No. Like, it was like the, the environment in the, <laughs> in the room was really subdued, which was, it was a little uncomfortable yeah. Like when I'd pause uh -huh. and like there was no sound. Yeah. 
but I think that was the that was the correct attitude for this passage. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, we need to take these warning passages seriously, yeah. and I think a lot of Christians they it's good for us to be balanced. Uh, never want to downplay the fact that we're saved by grace alone. We're saved by the finished work of Christ. If it wasn't for the work of Christ, if He hadn't gone to the cross and died under the wrath of God for us, we would be lost. Yeah, and we don't add we don't add a single ounce of effort into our salvation. But at the same time, we're warned not to grow lazy and complacent. Um, and the word of God is constantly peeling back those layers to expose us. Mm. And it's good for us to um, to take inventory, to take stock of our lives and ask these serious questions. Am I, am I obeying God's word? Am I living up to what a Christian is supposed to be? Am I striving for his rest? Like, when's the last time you thought about heaven? When's the last time you thought about, I'm going to die? Um, am I... Am I living in such a way that that shows that I'm a Christian? Mm-hmm. We, we need to ask these these tough questions, and then not um, not answer them based on how we feel or based on I really meant it. You know, 20 years ago when I said a prayer, <clears throat> or well, you know, I'm better than this guy. Right. Yeah. It always has to be the standard of God's word. Yeah. All right, George. Well, good. And then next week you're going to uh, introduce us to Jesus as the High Priest, right? Yep. It's going to be some good stuff. Yeah, we don't have to we're not left in despair. Right. We're left with hope. Yeah. That's, because you 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 read something like this and you really think about it and you're like, "Man, I do, I do not live up to this." All that despair is coming the week after. Yeah. When we start a backache. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> I told Philip, uh, we, "We ought to decorate the church in like dark gothic themes and put oh, yeah. and put ashes at the back mm. so when people leave they can rend their clothes and throw, uh, yeah. throw ashes on their head." <laughs> Yeah, because the word of God, it's living and active, and it, it pierces. It pierces us. It exposes. Yeah. It exposes our sin. And if we're left like that, we're left in despair. Yeah. But the word of God, that, that's what's so. That's what's so supernatural about it, right? It wounds us, but it also heals us. It bring, bring us back to Jesus. And um, so that's that's what's going to happen. We have this warning, and we spent three weeks on this warning mm-hmm. because it's, it was such a big passage. Um, that delved into a lot of what was, I mean, what's going on in our, our own hearts. Um, but it doesn't leave us there. Yeah. It heals us, and that's what we'll see next week in, in the rest of the chapter is that we've got a high priest. Yeah. We've got a high priest. Good. All right, awesome. Thanks. All right, thanks for tuning in today. Thanks for watching or listening on podcast. If this is a blessing to you, hopefully it is, please like, subscribe, share. And maybe write us a review. That'll help people to find us online. Go ahead and pass this off to your friends. It's our hope and desire that uh, you not only learn stuff from this, but you're able to, to make good application to your life. The end result being that you would be more and more conformed to Christ. See you next time.